This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome, everybody, to Trashy Divorces your favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Stacy. Hey, thanks for joining us today, friends. I'm Alicia. Oh my, today in our Wheel of Trash, it is time to tune the channel to add another sitcom mom to our Trashy Divorces lexicon. This time, it's Katie Seagal. Peg Bundy. Three times married, twice divorced, but that is not even close Mm -mm. to her Trashy Divorces saga Katie is a fascinating woman, and her history and all of its spiderwebs may surprise you. At last, her love did come along, but what a ride to get there. Absolutely. So before we get started, there's some magic mirror action going on here, Alicia. Manifesting some names. I'm going to begin to give some thanks and praise this week to our newest Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Holy cats. So grateful for y'all. Kathy F. Jody C. Kathy M. Lacey. Debbie C. Stepha R. Kathy R. Jessica W. Ellen D. Christine R. Anne Marie C. Huge thanks to all of y'all, to all of our Patreon folks. Getting spider eggs, our little bonus bits at the end, dumpster dives, spider webs, all the good stuff. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate you and you and you and you for coming to listen today to the tale of Katie Seagal. Hey, with a big thanks to Melissa O for the amazing deep dive into this episode. Settle in, Trash Pandas. We go long today. There is tragedy. There is triumph. A truly remarkable woman and life. Alicia, let's go, go, go. All right, Alicia, which sitcom mom do you have for us this week? Katie Seagal. She is the most fascinating character. We know her as Peg Bundy. Peg Bundy, yeah. On the controversial hit, Married with Children, sure, which ran from 1987 to 1997. Right, back when Fox hated families. (laughs) But Katie Seagal actually has had roles in a lot of films and other television shows. Some of these include Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, Futurama, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, she voices one of the characters in Futurama. Sons of Anarchy will win her a Golden Globe in 2006. In her long career, Katie Seagal has been in over a hundred movies and television shows. Series. Like, isn't that amazing? It's a really impressive... But yeah, that's quite the And we think of Katie Seagal as an actress, right? She's well known as an actress, but Katie Seagal is also a talented singer and songwriter. In fact, music was her first love, and she had quite a musical career prior to becoming a recognized actress. Did not know that. Oh, this story is spiderwebby and amazing. Melissa O did a fantastic job with this sitcom mom. Listen to this. Katie Seagal tours with Bob Dylan, Bette Midler, and Olivia Newton-John, as well as others. Separately? Or was that like the weirdest billing ever? Wait for it. We're just in the intro. In 1994, (laughs) Katie Seagal released her debut album, the first of many She would also later contribute to the soundtrack for the Sons of Anarchy television show. 
and Katie's proud of her acting accomplishments and grateful for the success that they brought her, but it was her musical career that had the most impact on her personal life and how she met many of the most influential people in her life, including her husband's. Mm. Katie Seagal has had a lot of relationships, many relationships. Many of the stories of her life after married with children may not shock us, but her early life and family history maybe will surprise us. Okay. Katie's very different from Peg Bundy, the television mom that made her famous. Katie Seagal is a woman with an amazing life story that includes colorful characters, incredible experiences, addiction, tragic loss, triumphant success, and great wisdom. I, uh, that's, that's Have I hooked you? Yes. All right, let's do this. That's, that's a gamut. I love it. All right. Katie's early life and her mother's struggles. We talk about the concept of Imago, I-M-A-G-O, and that you're always working something out with Mm -hmm. the relationship you had previously in the one you're in. Parents, whoa, one of the biggest Imago relationships we as humans work out. Most people have no idea that Katie Seagal's parents were both in show business. In fact, you ready for this? Spiderwebs. It was Norman Lear who introduced Katie's parents. Wow. That's a pedigree. Norman Lear is, of course, the prolific creator, writer, producer, developer of many mm-hmm. of the most beloved television shows of all time. All in the family, yeah, one day at a time. Impactful shows, too. The Jeffersons, Good Times, Maud, many more, over a hundred shows Norman Lear creates. Norman Lear also nicely, helpfully hosted their wedding reception <laughs> at Ciro's on Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood back in 1952. Later, when Katie was born, her parents made Norman Lear her godfather. Wow. Mm-hmm. Katie's mom, Sarah's willing. Sarah Macon was Katie's mom's stage name. Sarah Zwilling was a talented screenwriter before becoming one of the first female producers in Hollywood. Sarah was Lear's script supervisor on the Martin and Lewis show when Norman Lear introduced Sarah to Boris Seagal. Katie's dad. Katie's dad, Boris Seagal, was a respected and talented television director working on such shows as The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Columbo, Peter Gunn, The Man from Uncle, including many others. Now, despite the tremendous talent and promising early life of Sarah's willing Seagal, her life would take a tragic turn later. In her early 20s, she entertained the troops overseas during World War II. She's a beautiful singer. She even has her own radio show out of her hometown of, right up the road from us, Gaffney, South Mm. Carolina. Sure. Peach butt. Peach. uh, Yes, there's a very large peach on the side of the interstate. (laughs) Sarah Zwilling has that radio show out of Gaffney when she's 11 years old. She is known as the singing sweetheart of Cherokee County. Huh. Katie writes in her 2016 memoir, Grace Notes, By the time I was old enough to know my mom, she'd moved far beyond the singing sweetheart of Cherokee County to a life of darkened rooms and hushed hallways. The house's forced stillness when she had taken to her bed. Hmm. The official diagnosis was heart disease, but I've always thought she had a broken heart. 
So knowing her mother's impressive list of writing credits on books and soap operas, as well as her success in Hollywood and directing, Katie continues, she writes, My mom had plans and hopes, more to say and create. However, work came to a screeching standstill when she met my dad, a Russian cab driver by day with a theater degree and an ambition to direct. She loved him. She was 25 years old when in 1952 she tied the knot, an age considered borderline over the hill. And as was expected in her generation, she gave up her career and started making babies. My sense is that parenting paled in comparison with her dreams, and she was never really at home with her role as mom. Complicated. Complicated. Katie was the oldest of five children, but it's important to note that her mother is often absent, at least emotionally, from all those kids. Sarah was diagnosed with heart disease, but it was clear that Sarah was suffering from severe depression. She had a number of suicide attempts. Wow. There was a silence and secrecy that surrounded Katie's mom's illness, which will certainly impact the family dynamic. Sarah sees several doctors, takes many prescription medications. Sarah would go away for extended periods to institutions and sanitariums, even tried shock treatments. This is back to Katie writing, maybe my mom just needed a job. (laughs) I felt she was born in the wrong generation. Things were changing slowly for women during the 1950s and 1960s, but Wife and mother was still the norm, and when she tried to do what was now expected of her, it broke her heart. All of the treatments in the world couldn't make it okay. She felt silenced. So when her mom would, quote-unquote, go away, Katie's grandma would come to take care of the kids, and nobody would tell the kids what was happening. There's no explanation of where mom went during these times. Mom just went away. This is awful. Mm -hmm. Katie continues to write, my workaholic dad neither asked for nor knew how to handle my mom's illness with much more than hysteria and more work. So dad's not a help either. Yeah. But Katie's grandma, Virginia Lee's willing, who Katie describes as quote, Alabama born, ladylike and soft spoken, a true Southern matriarch, unquote would come to their house, and Grandma would make order out of the chaos. Grandma was calm and unshakable. She took care of everything and knew instinctively what needed to be done. Katie remembers hearing her grandma say, It's going to be all right, darling. Don't you worry your pretty little head. So Virginia Lee, Grandma, (laughs) feeds Katie chicken and dumplings and Bisquick biscuits, She teaches Katie how to sew a button, how to iron, how to fold laundry, how to cook, how to write a check, how to mix a martini. Grandma knows Katie needed to grow up fast. And in Grandma's soothing Southern drawl, showed Katie how to take care of herself. Katie's mom, well, and not only herself, but the rest of the kids in the house too, right? Because mom isn't capable of doing it. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Katie's mom would eventually come home more broken than when she left with an ever-increasing amount of pill bottles. And her dad, Boris, would leave for work before dawn and her mother would sleep until noon. 
So the kids would wake up to boxes of cereal on the counter for breakfast. It was at least peaceful, though, Katie says, without either of her parents there. That was the time there was the most peace. It's sad, right? Yeah, this is a, a tough childhood. And, and why, like the lessons that particularly a daughter could take from this are not great. So, so it's nice when her parents are not in the home. Dinner mm-hmm. is not so peaceful. Katie recalls her mother sitting at the dinner table with her pillbox next to her. They would watch their mom pop as many as six or seven white nitro pills, quote, to protect her broken heart from breaking even further, unquote. Dinner time was also a time of, oh gosh, we love it, arguments and criticisms. Woo! She'll write, whatever had been brewing festering, the air was let out of the balloon at dinner time. As tensions and voices rose, the kids would scatter to their corners with a TV tray and just tried to act like everything was normal. And there were times when things would seem almost normal. When her mom would come out of her darkness for brief periods, Katie would start to feel like a kid again. Her mom would have some energy. Her mom would be funny. She'd tell her how much she loved her. But as soon as those times came, fleetingly, they left just as quickly. The curtains would be drawn. Sarah would take to her bed, tell Katie she wanted to die, and possibly worst of all, that the kids couldn't play too loud because their mom might have a heart attack. (sighs) Needless to say, This type of childhood had a major impact on how Katie developed, to your point. She will write, Katie Seagal will write, I became accustomed to living on guard, waiting for her to go down the rabbit hole, waiting for the shit to hit. I became adept at coping with high hysterics, managing, rearranging, orchestrating, and waiting, always waiting. I lived with a knot in my stomach. It still knots up. I often have to remind myself that I can let go of it now. When Katie's 12 years old, she lives on the same block as Judy Garland. And Katie Seagal will become good friends with Judy's daughter, Lorna Luft. Hmm. The girls feel a close bond with each other. Not surprisingly, in large part, because both of their moms had a lot of pills on their bedside tables and both of their moms slept past noon. Yeah. So Katie Seagal and Lorna Luft hung out together a lot. There was no need in their friendship to explain to the other what was wrong with their mother or why mom was still in bed or hadn't gotten dressed. They both knew. They both understood. Good, good friends. Yeah. I'm sure there were very few, you know, kids at school who could relate to what was happening. All right. So Katie always loves music and begins taking music lessons at a young age, and she would write songs and perform in school musicals. Whenever it involved creative pursuits, Sarah, mom, would be able to muster some joy and enthusiasm for Katie's efforts and talents. Katie said that she thought her dreams were, quote, infusing her mom's dimmed life force, unquote. No pressure. Right. So one day during her teenage years, Katie suggested to her mom that she goes back to work. But mom always had a list of reasons why that wasn't a good idea, including at the top of the list, your father doesn't really want me to. She had been Norman Lear's script supervisor. Correct. 
oh, it gets sadder, babe. I'm sorry. Like, there's the story really. Okay, trash pandas. Let me just set the bar. We're going to have a happy ending at the end of the story, but there's a lot of the story that is not great. A lot of spider webs, but a lot of heartbreak. The family lives in Brentwood, and Katie graduates from Palisades High School. And traditional learning environments were never of too much of a great interest to Katie. But after high school, Katie's father would convince her to try out for the theater department of a school called Cal Arts in Valencia, California. Boris does this by threatening to cut Katie off financially if she does not <laughs> do this. So that's not... Okay, that's not an offer or whatever. No, this is, I'm going to cut you off unless you go do this thing. But wow. lucky for Katie, uh-huh. she didn't need a high GPA or great SAT scores to get into Cal Arts. You could only get in by auditioning. This is a talent-based sort of thing. Katie gets accepted and officially starts studying theater when she is 18 years old. She's doing it alongside some other future recognizable names, Paul Rubens, You know him as... Pee Wee Herman, sure. And David Hasselhoff. The Hoff. Pee Wee... (laughs) Pee Wee Herman. Paul Rubens was actually Katie's dorm mate in college. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Katie will say that his room looked a lot like Pee Wee's Playhouse many, many, many years before the show even existed. Okay, I love that Pee Wee Herman and Knight Rider have, like... (laughs) history together (laughs) more spiderwebs coming though katie has two younger brothers david and joey and much younger twin sisters her twin sisters jean and liz seagal were also actors when they were younger you may know jean and liz seagal as the double mint twins for the gum advertising campaign for a time yeah then the two had their own television show i don't know if you remember this in the 80s called double trouble Rings a bell. Oh, yeah. Rings a bell. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Spider webs. Okay. So, a little bit of a sad bit here. Very much of a sad bit. It was the 13-year-old twins, Jean and Liz, that would find their mother dead at the young age of 47 mm-hmm. in 1975. Katie was in her early 20s and living in Laurel Canyon at the time, living the life of a struggling musician. Katie had moved out of her family home when she was 17, no big surprise. And because of the atmosphere of the home, Katie doesn't really come back to visit too regularly. Sure. She had, however, Katie did, she saw her mom the day she died. She went to visit her mom and found Sarah just to be so different than she normally was. Hmm. Sarah was happy. She looked beautiful. She seemed genuinely happy to see Katie. Katie recalls her looking glowing and content. She had her hair washed, her makeup was on, and despite seemingly much improved in her mood and mental state, that night would be Sarah's last. As usual, the next morning, her younger sisters didn't see their mother in the morning when they got ready for school, but this was not out of the ordinary routine at all. However, they get home from school and they creep into their mom's room and they realize that mom had not been up yet. Mm. They find their mom dead, covered in bruises and vomit sprayed across the wall above her head. 
No one really knows what happened to Sarah's willing Seagal. Transparency with these issues was not much of a thing in those days, and the longtime family doctor quickly, very quickly, ruled Sarah's death as a heart attack without ever doing an autopsy. Wow. That's tragic. So Katie, after a lifetime of hearing her mom say she wanted to die and being suffocated with her sadness, Katie certainly doubted the credibility of a heart attack causing her mom's death. Mm -hmm. But that's what was put on mom's death certificate. And years later, when Katie tried to find her mother's medical records just to get some questions answered in her own heart, Katie was told that all of her mom's medical records had all been destroyed. Katie Seagal writes, I will never know 100% for sure how she met her end. And I suppose it doesn't really matter, but it does explain for me that final evening before her passing. It helps me understand and give resonance to the joy I felt from her and for her. If she had resolved herself to an exit plan, she could have been without her usual anxiety and enjoyed herself knowing later in that night She would be successful at last, sad no more. I was kind of relieved for her. That's, oof. Okay, gets a little sadder. Oh, I I know, I know. Yay. Let's talk about dad. Oh, no. Finish up that parent imago to skip. I'm I'm scared, Alicia. I'm scared. (laughs) To skip through to the rest. Okay, we'll see you on the flip. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So surely her Russian father is a ray of sunshine. (sighs) Boris Seagal was a dominant, if absent, figure in Katie's childhood. She says she loved him, hated him, feared him, and realized that she was just like him. Okay, gamut. Another gamut. (laughs) They would have their best interactions and conversations together early in the day because they're both morning people. Boris was a complicated man also prone to fits of rage. So, love it. Boris was at his best self when he was at work, and he couldn't relax. He still showed many signs of the young Russian boy who had escaped the Soviet Union with his family when he was only seven years old. Brought into an unfamiliar country where none of them knew the language. And in part, Boris may have become a workaholic because he never got over that fear of poverty and hunger. Financial security was Boris's ultimate fulfillment. And he believed his role in his family was to be a good provider and nothing more. It kind of ended at that point. 
It was this practical side of Boris, though, that got Katie her first jobs and connections. He knows, Boris does, Dad knows of Katie's rock and roll dreams, but doesn't think it's realistic. Sure, kid, go be a (laughs) rock star, right? So Dad's like, take some acting gigs. You can at least get health insurance for yourself. You got to be smart about it, yeah, Katie. Practical stuff. So when Katie's 17, her dad will cast Katie in a TV movie called The Failing of Raymond, starring Jane Wyman and Dean Stockwell. Wow. It was a small part. It only had a few lines, but it gets Katie a union card, which means health insurance. Dad will also cast Katie in an episode of Columbo. And when he tells Katie that he sees real talent in her, and thought she had the potential to become a really good actor, Katie doesn't take it very seriously because she had no desire to do that because by this point, she's already in a band. I'm going to be a rock star, Mm -hmm. Dad. It wasn't until her adult life, especially after her mother's death, that Katie began to really build any kind of significant relationship with her dad. Boris remarries soon after Katie's mom dies and will also sell the family home. Yikes. So a year after Katie's mother's death, Katie married for the first time at the age of 22, and her dad throws a wedding for her. She said in retrospect, it was obvious they, quote, dealt with their grief by not coming together, but by attaching ourselves to other people, unquote. But they would continue to make progress building a relationship after their respective marriages. Katie recalls in her mid-twenties, her father began to call her out of the blue just to talk and say, Hey, sweetheart, just wanted to call and see how you are. It was on these calls that Katie and dad began to get to know each other and Katie could feel that he really loved her. His softer, sweeter, older side was emerging. But... Get ready for a little bit more tragedy, just as she's getting to know her dad in a meaningful way. Dad also dies at a young age, and also in a tragic way. In May of 1981, Boris Segal was shooting a movie called World War III, and he had taken a helicopter to a location in Oregon. And he jumped out of the helicopter prematurely before the blade stopped completely, and he was on top of a mountain with thin air and became disoriented and walked right into a spinning blade and was decapitated at the age of 57 years old. I don't even know what to say about that. There's, it's that terrible. That is like a nightmare. Terrible. Terrible. So Katie Seagal, plenty of parental mm-hmm. tragedy. Let's get to young adulthood, drugs, booze, and her relationship with Gene Simmons. Ah. In her teen years and 20s, Katie's life was fueled by drugs and alcohol. She'll rely on drugs and alcohol for a variety of reasons and spend most of her days being drunk or on drugs or sometimes perhaps both. It was the 70s. She'd stay up most of the night, sleep all day, and Katie will get a job as a chorus girl in a Broadway touring company of the rock musical called Two Gentlemen of Verona. Hmm. Katie is smoking heavily and taking a great deal of diet pills at this time. And since it's a rock musical, though, Katie feels like it's getting her closer to her dream than just being in theater school. During this time, Katie says it was amphetamines and alcohol that provided 
all of her courage and bravado. Well. During that nine-month tour, Katie has a roommate that would go on to television sitcom mom fame as well, Joanna Kearns, who played mm. Maggie Seaver in the television show Growing, Growing Pains. Pains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although the two women, can you imagine Joanna Kearns, Katie Seagal, completely opposite. Joanna Kearns will help ground Katie and makes her feel safe with all of Joanna Kearns' wholesomeness. Yeah, good energy. Yeah. When the tour was over, though, Katie goes back to living in Laurel Canyon and dealing with her old demons. So Katie is a musician. She hangs around with other musicians who have the same lifestyle she does. It was an unhealthy time, both physically and mentally. (laughs) Yes. As you can imagine, Katie is still struggling through her very troubled childhood, dealing with anxiety. She hates her looks. She feels directionless, broke, and is working as a waitress at the Great American Food and Beverage Company just to make ends meet. And although waiting tables was not what Katie really wanted to do, at least this job incorporated a chance to perform. Because she wasn't just a waitress. She was a singing waitress. Oh, Mm -hmm. well. The servers are not required to have any actual restaurant experience, but they needed to have some kind of special talent. So serving you at the Great American Food and Beverage Company could be magicians. Sure. Comedians, singers, poets, all kinds of artists work there and we're encouraged to stop everything and just perform. Dinner and a show. Yeah, in the middle of their waitressing duties. Yep. Over the years, the Great American Food and Beverage Company employs many, many talented people, some of who go on to greatness. Sure. So no restaurant experience needed. Sure. I'm sure it's a coveted spot for people hoping to get discovered. So one night in 1975, Gene Simmons comes into the restaurant when Katie Seagal's working. And the band Kiss is fairly new and basically unknown at this time. And they played a gig at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. And Katie waits on Gene Simmons. And Gene Simmons decides that he would like Katie for more than just his waitress. It also notable that Kiss wore makeup and costume. Like, it, oh, yeah. They... they Maintained a lot of actual anonymity in in the world for a long time. Gene Simmons wants to date Katie even before he hears her sing, but once he hears Katie Uh, sing, he sees how talented, like, Katie is and convinces her to take him home with her that very same night. Katie writes, I took him home with me that night because he was quite persuasive, (laughs) and I like men. (laughs) At first, she thought Gene Simmons was a little weird, but she loved his confidence. And she'll write, when he paid attention to me, something inside me bloomed. So Gene would go to band practice with Katie. He liked their sound. And Gene Simmons will take them to meet the president of the label that Kiss was on, Casablanca Records. The president of Casablanca at that time was Neil Bogart, and he'll sign Katie's band on the spot. Wait. The president of Casablanca Records was named Bogart? Correct. Okay. I mean, what? Signed? Banned? On the spot? Yeah. This is exciting. As encouraging, though, as this is, the first record was not a great success, and Casablanca dropped the band. But no worries. The band's picked up by Electro Records, and they'll release a single. But 
Alas, that didn't do too well either. So the band started fighting and eventually broke up. Meanwhile, Gene Simmons and Katie Seagal were on again, off again for a few years. Different though. Katie and Gene are really different. Unlike Katie, Gene is very straight and narrow. He doesn't smoke marijuana. He doesn't drink alcohol. He is a disciplined businessman. Katie said he felt like an adult and uh, he was doing all the right things to become successful. It's so ironic that like of the two of them, Gene Simmons is the the responsible, straight, narrow one. He looks at her one day. Gene says, Katie, you know what? You're going to be a star someday. And then he paused and asked her, but do you know what's going to fuck you up? She stared at him and he'll continue. Men, you have a tendency to give it all up for a guy. Don't do that. That's such a relatable thing. Like, Mm -hmm. people do it, not just women, but like people in relationships all the time. Give it all up for what that is. Katie knew that she and Gene were not exclusive, but Gene Simmons always made Katie Seagal feel really special when they were together. Around this time, Katie started dating a musician named Freddie Beckmeyer. Fairly quickly, Freddie asked her to marry him. Not sure what to do, Katie calls Gene. Hey, it's Katie. Freddie asked me to marry him. I'm not sure how to answer. I'll say no if you want to marry me. And he did not want to. Gene Simmons does not answer. He laughs. And she had to accept at that point that Gene Simmons does not want to marry her and that he would never let her lose herself in him and jeopardize the future he felt certain that she was going to have. Katie writes, I needed this lesson. It was invaluable. No matter how much my relationships struggled or cost me, I never let them stop me. I always kept working. And so, with that answer from Gene Simmons, still reeling in the aftermath of her mom's mysterious death, like these two things are happening at the same time, Katie Seagal will accept Freddie Beckmeyer's proposal in 1977. Now, old Freddie, he's a fellow musician, Katie and Freddie met in 1975 in the L.A. music scene. The couple date on and off for about two years prior to exchanging vows in a private ceremony, May the 1st, 1977. This was held in the backyard of Boris's home and Katie's new stepmother, new stepmom. Her name is Marge Champion. I have a fun story about her and spider eggs coming okay. up. This home is beautiful. It is in Brentwood. Huzzah! Mazel. Beckmeyer had started a funk band with his brother called the Beckmeyer Brothers. Freddie will also play in other bands like Full Moon, also known later as the Larson Fightin' Band. He'll also play in the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. In 1979, Freddie has a role in Bette Midler's film The Rose as a band member. Katie, young married, Continues working as a musician during this time as well. Katie will be a backup vocalist on Gene Simmons' first solo album in 1978. And Katie also has her chance to work with Bette Midler when Katie Seagal tours with Bette Midler as a member of the Harlettes in 1978. Hmm. So she's she's working. I mean, she's like... Oh, yeah. Katie's favorite singers had been Aretha Franklin, Nina Simone... Ella Fitzgerald, Etta James. 
And Katie's always drawn to the emotion and tone and rhythm of black music. When Katie and Freddie lived at what they called the castle in Laurel Canyon at the corner of Lookout Mountain Road and Horseshoe Canyon, Etta James's band would come over for jam sessions. Wow. Mm-hmm. In fact, Freddie worked for Etta James, whom they called Miss Etta. She not only employed Freddie in her band, Etta James did, but she had taken Freddie under her wing, just as she had done with all of her other band members. Etta James's career was somewhat shaky during that time. After having been on top of the charts in the 50s and 60s, Etta James, Miss Etta, is still releasing records steadily, but they weren't landing in the same way as they had in previous decades. It was at the house they called the castle because of its turret that Etta James first hears Katie Seagal sing. Nervous Katie is to sing in front of her idol. Uh, yeah, Like sure. one of the greatest singers of yeah. all time. Katie closes her eyes and just begins to sing. And when she finally opens her eyes again, Etta James is smiling at her. And Etta James smiles and nods and says, Wow, girl can sing. It meant the world to Katie Seagal. Katie writes, she, Etta James, provided a different kind of musical education from Bet, as well as becoming kind of a motherly figure. She asked me about my relationship with Freddie and gave me sound advice when I asked for it. And in her sweet way, even when I didn't, because she knew I needed it. <laughs> she appeared to be tough and full of bravado, but on the inside, she was intuitive and caring. In hindsight, I think she saw right through my tough girl stance. She could see my need to be loved and needed. Eventually, Etta James asked Katie Seagal to be her backup singer. So Katie Seagal tours with Etta James and plays all kinds of venues, from stadiums to dive bars. One of the most memorable experiences for Katie was when they played the Anaheim Stadium opening for the Rolling Stones. Wow. So Katie will write of her first marriage. Even though I gave Freddie everything I thought he needed, the marriage didn't last more than a few years. But its unraveling didn't teach me about my own self-worth as much as singing with Etta and Bet had. I kept trying to assign my value by what I could give rather than by who I was. In hindsight, they provided the first in a long line of lessons about how it was possible to be accepted for just who I was, but it would be years before I learned that I could be enough without needing to be needed. I really like Katie Seagal. Mm-hmm. Katie and Freddie's marriage will last three years before the couple divorces in 1981, the same year Katie's father sure. tragically dies. Yeah. Good Lord. So a lot of tragedy bookending things. Uh, that's okay. Now's probably, we've got one marriage out of the way. Okay. Family, parental trauma, done. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to get Katie sober. We're going to get her to be Peg Bundy. Yep. And we're going to get her to her second marriage. See you on the flip. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. 
Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Okay. All right. Let's get some good things happening here for our girl. By the time of her second marriage, Katie is working as an actress in Hollywood. But as a true lover of musicians, Katie will choose another one to marry in 1986. This time, the lucky guy was Fred Lombardo. But what's Katie doing in between 1981 and 1986 in between these two marriages? Not giving up on her musical career, but adopting some of her dad's practicality, Katie had been steadily taking acting parts. She appeared on the television show Mary with Mary Tyler Moore. The show that Katie was on was directed by Danny DeVito. Hmm. Her character was Joe Tucker, an irreverent chain-smoking newspaper journalist. The opposite of Mary Tyler Moore's sweet and innocent character. On a side note, there was also another actress up for the role of Joe Tucker. Katie got the part, but that other actress there that was up for contention, Kathy Bates. Wow. This is just spiderwebs all uh-huh. over. Yeah. During this time, Katie, though, is still deeply entrenched in drugs and alcohol. She's also still playing with the band. She'd be out all night on gigs and show up to the set high or drunk. Her boyfriend at the time was a musician and actor. His name was Spider Middleman. Spider's with the Y. Sure. Just so you know. Of course it would be. Spider is a major player in the punk rock scene of L.A. during that time. And Katie will write, We were living out a crazy, drug-fueled, bluesy, romantic love story. We were partners on the dark side. (laughs) Poor Spider ultimately lost his life on that dark side. Wow, okay. I crawled out of the hole by the grace of God, Katie writes. Okay, so we're not quite through the tragedy yet. Well, Katie and Spider are regular performers at the Central, now known as the Viper Room, and other L.A. clubs. And during her short stint on Mary, Katie actually escalated her drug use Because she's trying to hold on to her identity as a rock musician, but also knows that this job, Mary, is a great opportunity for her, so she'll do even more drugs to stay awake and alert during the day. It's tough. It's super tough. Katie was great as the dirty, joke-telling, chain-smoking journalist. She gets a lot of laughs. But the show was not a success, and it was canceled after 13 episodes. However, this show was the tipping point for Katie and her sobriety. She knew she needed to make some serious decisions about her life or she would end up dying from an overdose. So Katie makes the decision to get sober. And when she gets the call to audition for a new television show on a brand new television network called Fox, it was the first time she had ever auditioned for anything without being on some kind of drug mixed with alcohol. Interesting. And even though the television show Mary hadn't lasted long, it was what led her to her big break on Married with Children. The co-creator of the show, Ron Levitt's wife, Shannon Levitt, had seen Katie on Mary and suggested her to her husband, saying she'd be great for the role of Peg Bundy. So in October of 1986, 
Katie was called into audition for this new show, <laughs> the working title of Married with Children when it was being cast. Mm-hmm. This is not the Cosby show. Boy, was it not the Cosby <laughs> show. Wow. When preparing for the audition and reading through the script, Katie thought the way that Peg Bundy was described was not exactly how she should be played. Peg was written as a slovenly, lazy, couch potato type of mother, someone similar to Roseanne Barr's character on The Roseanne Show. Mm -hmm. Katie Seagal felt that instead, Peg Bundy should be kind of sexy. So for the audition, Katie wears a tight dress, high heels, cat eye glasses, with her hair piled on top of her head. Katie also adds the idea that Peg and Al Bundy must have, at one point in their relationship, had a very steamy sex life. And even though Al had grown tired of that steamy sex life, Peg longed for it to return. Now, it turns out that the creators of the show liked her sexed-up approach to Peg Bundy, so it gets her past the first round of auditions. So it's down to three actresses, Katie being one, There's another actress there, but the third actress in contention for Peg Bundy. Imagine how differently this show would have gone. Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks' wife. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hmm. The three of them get called in. Katie goes in to read with Ed O'Neill, who would play the part of Al Mm -hmm. Bundy. And the chemistry between Katie and Ed is evident. And the two were cast to play Al and Peg. No one was prepared for the success of Married with Children. It does get off to a slow start, just mostly because people couldn't find the Fox network. (laughs) But once it does come out, word of mouth for the show is electric. And Mm -hmm. once it takes off, the media and publicity were off the charts. Now, Katie, though, has a little bit of an extra challenge with handling this success as a newly sober person. Because it really is during this time that Katie realizes just how much she had relied on drugs and alcohol to either magnify or dim whatever was happening around her and inside of her. She had no way of doing that now without the drugs or the booze, so she had to learn new ways of coping. Mm -hmm. So Katie will marry Fred Lombardo, remember him, as the show was starting. Katie's getting used to a lot at one time. Being sober, being married, for the first time being steadily employed. There's a lot happening. Mm -hmm. One great thing, though, that helped Katie to not be harassed relentlessly by the paparazzi like her co-stars was that Peg Bundy looked really different than Katie Seagal did. Right. Yeah, she was uh, an over-the-top character. And that wasn't Katie's original plan. Like, that wasn't supposed to happen, but... It was a really perfect side benefit of Peg Bundy's over-the-top appearance, her wardrobe, her wigs, because Katie Seagal could go out Mm -hmm. a little undercover. The Married with Children team was like a family, and Katie feels very much supported. She's stabilized. She's loved in ways that she had not really been loved in her life prior to that. The cast, the crew together are together for 11 years. Everybody becomes really close naturally. I was in that wondering, time. yeah, I'd forgotten how long that show aired. 11 years is 11 years. It's, yeah, it's a long run. time. It's a good run. Unfortunately, though, Katie's marriage to Fred Lombardo lasted only three years. Mm, they divorce rough. in 1989. 
And there isn't a lot of information to be had about the breakdown of this marriage, but it isn't too hard to imagine that maybe Katie doesn't have the time or the energy to devote to this relationship in the midst of starring in a brand new hit television show that was garnering so much attention. Mm -hmm. But going through two divorces, does that dissuade Katie from love? Absolutely (laughs) not. Nay. Within a year, she was in another relationship. Let's get Katie to marriage number three. So Married with Children is in its fourth season. At the height of its popularity, Katie will meet and fall in love with drummer Jack White in 1991. She just, she's, she likes, she's got a type. Definitely got a type. Now, Jack White had had a storied musical career with Steppenwolf, Ike and Tina Turner, Redbone, Rick Springfield, and Katie Seagal knows that she wants to be a mom someday, and she's in her late 30s by this point, and she doesn't really intend to get pregnant after only three months of dating her new boyfriend. But that's exactly what happened. Sadly, though, Katie Seagal's first child, a daughter, was stillborn. Mm. Obviously, this is traumatic and devastating. And this sends Katie down not only a deep path of grief, but also guilt. Right? Guilt is a really common emotion that people experience after a miscarriage or Mm -hmm. stillbirth. Because they must feel like it, you know, was my fault. They rationally right. know if, it's yeah, not. Yeah, if I had done this or that differently, would the, yeah. So grief and guilt yeah. all combined. And the Married with Children crew were incredibly supportive to Katie and wrote scripts that had Peg out of town visiting family. They found a few other ways of giving her a little bit of time off. Mm-hmm. Katie finds a support group and eventually is able to make peace with the loss of that child. And even though Katie was super scared to get pregnant again, Katie knows that if she wants to be a mom, she doesn't have a whole lot of time to waste because she's now 39 years old. Katie Seagal and Jack White get married on November the 27th, 1993. Katie gets pregnant right away, nine months later. August 7th, 1994, she'll give birth to a healthy baby girl. When that daughter is just nine months old, Katie gets pregnant again. Wow. Another healthy baby was born March the 1st, 1996, this this time a boy. It's called Irish Twins? Is that the... Yes. Yes. Okay. So Katie's personal life, joyful. She's got two healthy kids. Her Peg Bundy years were coming to an end. Fox pulls married with children in the spring of 97, honestly, without any warning. It was during the hiatus of their 11th season, so... They never even got to make a final episode or wrap up their storylines. It was just over. Just Mm -hmm. door closed. Okay. Katie Seagal writes, All of us who were involved with Married with Children were pissed and disappointed by how it ended. But with time, the shock wore off. We all got to a place of acceptance. It's almost fitting. Of course, that's how the never-happy-ending Bundys would end unceremoniously just (laughs) dropped off a cliff. Fox had a habit of doing that, too. I mean, Firefly is the big example, but... Yeah. So a few years later, no big surprise here, Katie's third marriage would also end. Hmm. Sadly, she and Jack divorced in July 2000, citing irreconcilable differences. Hmm. 
Katie describes in her book that the last few years of their marriage were, her words, traumatic Hmm. and left her in a fog. She also admits that she let the marriage carry on longer than was healthy because she was so determined for her kids to have parents that were married and a stable home. Katie Segal writes, The tragedy of breaking up a family was the biggest hurdle for me. Coming from my own non-cohesive tribe, I had fortified myself with the notion that once I had my own kids, a safe harbor, for them and for me, all would be right with the world. The illusion of my happy home was the most difficult of my denials to overcome, but my denial about the problems in my marriage had finally lifted. Although there were many likely issues that led to the divorce, Addiction on Jack's part seems to have been a major problem. Yeah, that would be. Katie describes Jack as struggling with alcoholism, but that he had legitimately tried to stay sober during their marriage. Katie decides to go to Al-Anon in addition Mm. for her own AA meetings. Right, for family members of people. Correct. Substance misuse. Katie writes, I had numerous relationships with alcoholics, including my marriage to Jack. Me being the common denominator in all those relationships, I finally realized I could only work on myself. I qualified to be in Al-Anon and related to what I heard in its rooms. In these meetings, Katie started to realize that she, quote, needed to be needed, unquote. Based on her childhood experience, she was so used to and comfortable being that caretaker role that she's repeating those same patterns in her adult life, and she knows that she has to break those patterns. After Katie separates from Jack, Katie said she spent all of her time with her kids or in 12-step rooms. But, hey, let's get to a new marriage, a new baby, some new television roles. After Married with Children ends, Katie finds herself typecast now as Peg Bundy. Sure. So the next three years was a time of inconsistent employment for her. She shot some pilots that didn't get picked up and had some roles on some short-lived shows. Katie had some development deals that never saw the light of day. And as much as she wanted to break into drama, Katie was having trouble being seen that way. So Katie's next long-term job comes unexpectedly as a voice actor for the character of Leela on Futurama which would end up becoming a cult favorite on Fox. Yeah. The show was co-created by Matt Groening, who created The Simpsons. And as some of the first people working at Fox, Katie and Matt had become friendly, Hmm. which led Katie to being cast. And the show was hilarious, and it was exciting for Katie to learn new things as a voice actor, but Katie still has dreams of working on a drama. In the spring of 2001, Katie meets a handsome man at a 12-step meeting, and he speaks at that meeting, and Katie's struck by how genuine he was in his recovery share. So the two speak after the meeting, and he asks Katie if they could go get coffee sometime, and Katie said yes. So that particular meeting was a Saturday group, and because of her kid's soccer schedule being at the same time as the meeting, Katie didn't return for four months to that same meeting, but Katie thinks about that handsome man and wonders if he would be there when she returned. Katie also decided 
that he would have to meet a list of requirements <laughs> before she'd even consider a relationship with him. This is smart to do. Mm -hmm. Make your index card of what your non-negotiables are, y'all. It will save you so much time in dating. Katie decides her non-negotiables. He had to have a job that was important to him, not be a musician. <laughs> <laughs> and that she would not want to be the breadwinner in any future relationship because it created an unhealthy dynamic for the male ego. Sure enough, Katie goes back. Soccer season's back in. The handsome man is there. His name is Kurt Sutter. And he asked Katie where she'd been, and Katie explained. And Katie asked Kurt what he did, and he said that he was a writer. In fact, Kurt was currently on staff for the television show The Shield. So, huzzah. Kurt Sutter earns a steady paycheck. So, Katie says, yes, I can go have coffee with you. <sighs> Even though, like, Katie's a little bit reluctant about it because she knew she previously had her words, quote, a penchant for broken dudes, unquote. <laughs> so Katie, knowing her penchant for broken dudes, should be my cover band name of something, because I get that. <laughs> Katie will ask her sponsor to go on the date with her as a chaperone. That's very, very smart. So smart. After a while on the coffee date, the sponsor squeezed her knee under the table and grinned at her. Then she left Katie and Kurt alone to finish their coffee date. And they get to know each other. And then Kurt gets to know her kids. And they take it real slow. In 2004, Katie and Kurt tie the knot. In 2007, they welcome a daughter through surrogacy. They did want to have a child together, but Katie was 52 at the time. So they thought a surrogate might be best for her, like the best option. Yeah. She'll write, at first we explored adoption, but that proved to be way more difficult than I expected. We went through the whole in vitro fertilization process and our embryos were not really strong. But we thought, let's give it a shot. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And if it wasn't, we weren't going to do it. But then our little Esme came through. That's why we call her our little miracle, our beautiful miracle. In 2003... So right before this marriage, Katie had been working on the television show Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter with John Ritter. And when they returned for the second season, Katie experiences another tragedy. She describes this one as the worst tragedy of my working life. It is on September 11th, 2003, around 4 p.m. John Ritter starts to complain about not feeling well while on the set. He was rushed to the hospital and died later that day from a ruptured aorta. Wow. Katie and the whole cast and crew were shocked and devastated. Katie Seagal writes, I can speak here of how much I loved him, of his angelic spirit coupled with his deep, dark soul. A darkness he hid well, but I had spied. Or maybe he let me in on. Or most likely, I'd felt kindred to because of my own dark places. John Ritter was the top dog on the production, number one on the call sheet, and the tone he set was love. Just the right combination of laughter and professionalism. The workdays were filled with his insanely brilliant sense of humor. Just enough practical joking to keep the energy high, but also a committed work ethic. So the end product appeared effortless yet precise. He was a comedic master and an angel, 
I've never met anyone like John, and I feel him around me still in my life. So really, no shit, an angel, is what Katie Seagal says. After John Ritter's death, the network tried to keep eight simple rules on the air and brings in James Garner as Katie's dad and David Spade as her cousin, but it never really got the right combination and spirit back after the passing of John Ritter. The show was canceled after three seasons. Katie's next job, I'd forgotten all about this, was on Lost. She had a recurring dramatic role, finally, as the girlfriend of John Locke. I completely have spaced that she was part of the cast. I had to. I had to. Okay. But the role that finally let her step away from Peg Bundy completely was one written for her by her husband. Listen to this amazingness. So after he finishes, Kurt does writing the entire seven-year run of The Shield, Kurt Sutter pitches a new idea he had about a show that takes place among outlaw motorcycle clubs. The show he was creating was called... Sons of Anarchy. I actually quit watching it after a particularly brutal character arc of hers. I watched several seasons of it, and then I was like, this is way too violent for me. I cannot keep... She got her dramatic actress wish. (laughs) Yeah, she sure did. Katie would play the role of Gemma Teller, the matriarch of a motorcycle gang. It was one of the strongest female roles on television and showed an incredibly complex mother-son relationship. Mm -hmm. Sons of Anarchy became one of the highest-rated cable shows in history, And in 2011, Katie Seagal won a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Television Drama for her role as Gemma Teller. As of today, I'm very happy to report with all of the sadness and tragedy and terrible things that have happened to Katie Seagal in our story, the good news. As of today, Katie Seagal and Kurt Sutter have been married for 19 years. Wow. And they're happier than ever. They have both remained clean and sober as well. Katie admits to struggling with aging, saying, my number (laughs) fucks with me. I think about it all the time. Really, it's always on my mind. I tell myself it doesn't matter, that it's just a number. I don't believe that. It sounds old. It sounds gray, crackly, and saggy. And not sexy. (laughs) It fucks with me. I like being sexy. (laughs) Katie is working on making peace with her age and is immensely grateful for the life she has. She will write, I am a girl with a lot of riches. For someone who came of age amid loss after loss, it's remarkable to stand back now and count my blessings. But it can also be disorienting, uncomfortable just to find myself here. Having lost my mother when she was 47 and my father just five years later, I have no clear concept of aging. I am outliving and thriving far beyond the hopes and aspirations of my parents. And that, my darlings, is the Trashy Divorces saga of Katie Seagal. Wow. She gets halos, right? There's So many halos. Yeah, there's no... So many halos. This is not a trash can story. No, this is definitely not a trash can story. Katie Seagal, all the halos mm-hmm. on whatever network... Yes. Wherever they come. Really kind of an incredible woman. Big thanks to Melissa O for that latest sitcom mom in our season 17 of Mm -hmm. fun. You're going to be back on Wednesday with something much, much trashier than Katie Seagal. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
Oh, goodness. Trash Pandas, I can't tell you how grateful we are for you. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for telling your friends about Trashy Divorces, for all the kind reviews, for your support on Patreon. Got a lot of fun stuff there. Don't forget, Patreon people, stay tuned. I got a few spider eggs coming at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. Until we meet again, friends, I hope that you will keep your hands just exquisitely clean. Keep those hearts exquisitely trashy. Big love, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all. <laughs>